The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and it's time for this week's episode of Friday Morning GM with co-host Voss Laricos. Voss, how are you doing? Doing well, Ken. Doing well. Uh, excited to see the combine this weekend, kicking off the draft season in earnest. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely an exciting time. We had interviews at the combine from both Harbaugh and DaCosta. We're going to talk about. We get the franchise tag deadline coming up the beginning of next week. Uh, we have potential cuts. Always a big story this time of year, and uh, of course, the big news really is the cap increase and how a team in the middle, like the Ravens, can, can really benefit from it fairly significantly. Absolutely. 13 million more than was projected last week. Uh, 30.6 million dollar bump to the cap. Uh, looks like the COVID paybacks are pretty much paid off and the new TV money is coming in and uh, certainly bodes well for a team that already has players with cornerstone contracts uh, already locked up. And now they're, <clears throat> excuse me, a lesser percentage. Yeah, if you if you want to buy Kirk Cousins this offseason, it probably just got a little bit more expensive if there's competition. I'm not sure there's a lot of competition for him, but uh, if you want to buy your quarterback this offseason, it's going to cost you more in a relative sense than Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow did last year, who who now appear to be fairly good contracts. Um, a 13.6% cap increase is the second biggest since 2000. And just to frame this up, in 2022, they had a 14.3% increase that was coming off a decrease of almost 8% the year before due to COVID. So that really, it doesn't, it doesn't frame up the same way. Um, the average cap increase since 2000 has been 5.7%. So this is roughly two and a half years of increase in one year. Um, now, the larger increase really helps team, teams in the middle of the table. So let's, mm-hmm. let's take a look at either end. If you're the Washington Commanders, and you already had $70 million in cap, and now everybody gets an additional $11 million in cap, roughly. Are you excited about that, or do you think, my dollars just got inflated away? Right, inflated away. I don't think their buying power is is lessened in a way, yes. um, certainly because there's more available cap overall, and teams can keep their own players that they couldn't before, et cetera. So, yeah, agreed. The commanders would do even better if there had been a $10 million reduction in cap mm-hmm. then the, the the teams on the bottom will all be scrambling around maybe trading people at if they could get rid of cap they could you know they all, all kinds of options to be available to commanders under those cases on the other end of the table we have the saints and the bills who are more than 40 million in the hole still i believe after the cap mm-hmm. increase there's still 40 million in the hole there's not a lot of help for those teams coming 
I mean, I, they're, they're, they can kick the can down the road with a few mechanisms that teams that get in a deep hole tend to be already using to a great degree. Right, right. They're already leveraged. Um, and you're right. Uh, an, an additional increase doesn't help them. They're going to still have to, uh, to take on water and release some players that they don't want to because um, they're just not enough to go around, even with the increase. In the division, I think the Cincinnati Bengals, kind of a big loser. They have $66 million in, in effective cap. That's the amount you have left on cap after you sign minimum value players to all your open slots. Okay, mm-hmm. so this for for the Bengals, um, they are they tagged T Higgins. I believe they did it already. If they didn't, yes. they said they were going to do it, and it and so th- they've they've certainly got the flexibility to make moves like that. But the Bengals probably now will have to pay T, T Higgins a lot of money. It's a new contract. It'll be under the you know the the new expanded cap. There will be competitors, I'm sure, and uh, and hopefully they at least have to pay for. The rumor I heard was that perhaps this is just sort of uh, they want to get the last year out of T, but they do not envision a long-term deal because they're going to pay Chase instead. Um, so they just want to keep them around for one more year and make a go at it, and then I guess take the compensatory pick afterwards. Uh, Cincinnati rarely spends to the cap, to my knowledge. I know they, they don't have uh, as much wealth in, in their ownership uh, as other teams. So uh, – Anyway, interesting uh, decision there with Higgins, who's probably one of the, I'd say, 20 best receivers in the league. Um, but sometimes, I guess, I sort of what they did with Jesse Bates, the safety, they tagged him, and then they let him walk. Right. So yeah, I guess it's it, Jamar Chase, it is. This is his fourth season coming up. So he's mm-hmm. still on his first contract, and and uh, he'll be a – I, I think I guess he has a fifth year option that they're picking up by this this off season, mm-hmm. and I don't know I don't know what that means. I, I, they, it probably means they they want to pay him, I would think, but uh, but I don't know that for a fact. Both of them seem incredibly important to that Bengals offense to me. I pay both. I, I I don't have a problem paying two receivers if you have that quality, even two offensive tackles. When the Ravens had Orlando Brown. Uh, I was a proponent of paying up at right tackle too, but uh, it, you got to make those choices, obviously, with the franchise quarterback, which both teams have. All right, we're going to go go back to the combine interviews in a moment, but the franchise tag coming up for Matabike on Tuesday, I think it's Tuesday, four p.m. It has to be three five, I know, and ours three one. I always get, yeah, the fifth is Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not expecting a tag prior to that date. The Ravens usually hold it right till the end and then they and they do it. Hopefully we won't have a fax gate situation show up as we saw Elvis, <laughs> Elvis Dumerville. Yes, yes. Well, I guess they're still uh, trying to make their decision of how they're going to come up with the uh, the additional cap space they need to apply the tag. 16.6 million according to OTC right now, but the effective is only 12.8. So going to have to make some cuts or some restructures one way or another. Okay, twelve point eight effective cap space, sixteen million of uh, is the franchise tag on Matabike, and that's the non-exclusive tag, right? Correct. Okay, and still a possibility, I guess, of a tag and trade. But they have you mentioned two restructures, I think, on the last show, or maybe you didn't. Did we get to that last show? Yes, we did. We did. Yep. Okay, Lamar so- and Roquan each have sort of a built-in restructure. Uh, into the the language of their original contract. And as far as you know, neither of those has been included in current OTC cap numbers, right? I'm not sure because a little little bit confused there because OTC does show avoid years in uh, 2028 and 29 
for Lamar at, at this moment. So uh, I think we probably would have heard if they exercised that over the last week since we recorded, but uh, maybe we're getting some misinformation somewhere. I'm not quite sure where. Could be, could be. We're we're out of sync there. Uh, so anyway, we'll we'll hope that uh, works out. In terms of what other restructures the Ravens have, obviously they have they have players they can always um, bump the bonus for on uh, Humphrey. They've done a couple times already. They can they can pay him his entire salary before the season begins and effectively change that into a prorated bonus. That's known as a simple restructure. You're always allowed to do that. In fact, there's usually contractual language that allows the team to pay the entire salary up front effectively and, and change it to a, to a signing bonus. Uh, it's not the entire salary because you still have to leave them at the minimum salary right after that, right. but it's, but it's a lot of money and, uh, and is, is a method for savings with the, with some of your existing players that of course kicks the can down the road. It doesn't actually save you money. Cap savings come from cutting players and not paying their salary. Cap deferrals come from these kind of restructures. Sure. Dead money stays dead money. No question about it. Interestingly, uh, OTC projects a $314 million cap in 2027. So uh, that's a pretty big jump even from where it is now. Okay. Um, so let's, let's, let's do that. That's 314 and today is 255.4, 255.6. Uh, 0.7, I thought, but yeah, in that ballpark, 256, call it. Okay, and one enter three divided by y to the x. So that'd be about a seven point one percent increase for each of the next three years. It's it's substantial. It's more than it's been historically, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but that would that would definitely favor teams that want to defer a little bit more money. Now you can't go crazy, but you you if you want to defer a little bit more money and you know maybe dig your way out of some void years in the Ravens' case, you got a chance to do it. Right. That's sort of what I was thinking. I don't think they're going to need a reset. I thought there was a possibility that they went overboard last year and they would. But now with these new higher numbers, I don't think they're going to. I thought they'd be able to avoid that. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of it will come down to how do they draft and are they effective enough at replacing a substantial amount of their UFA talent through that, I think. Agreed. Uh, But back to uh, creating the space for um, Matabike. I think there's three cuts that I've identified that would get them there. Um, Tyus Bowser, I think, is the obvious uh, number one choice. And then you would have, they would have to cut either McCary, Patrick McCary, or Patrick Picard. Um, either or would get them there. But if they wanted to, they could, if they cut all three, they would have 26.7 million in effective cap space, which would give them the Matabike tag plus um, some, uh, some smaller additions, role player acquisitions or extensions. Be interesting to see Rick if Ricard. I don't. I don't know what their plan is with Ricard. Ricard's obviously had injuries to both hips at this point. Um, probably did not have his greatest season last year. Certainly did not have as many snaps as he had during the Roman years. Uh, here, I, I really don't know what their plan is for. It is a position where I actually trust the Ravens to find the next guy who kind of perfectly fits that fullback mold who might be playing some other position right now. You know, if they weren't going to super big there. So if they decide to move on, it's not going to be the end of the world for me. It also will not be the end of the world for me if uh, Patrick Ricard is the Ravens' highest paid running back this year. Agreed, agreed. Uh, I certainly don't want to pay any running back more than uh, what he's making right now. So if they yeah. keep him, that would be perfect. 
So we, I guess we, we have talked a little bit in the past about, you know, a lot of the Derrick Henry or Saquon Barkley or some of the other guys. Uh, uh, you, you're not for any of those kind of signings, no, no vet running back? Absolutely not. Uh, that's the one, the best place to go cheap in all sports. Uh, I wouldn't pay any running back more than $3 million at this point. Okay. All right, great. I think there are three other cuts that are under consideration. I'm not saying these are ones I want the Ravens to make. In fact, I I would say I don't want the Ravens to make any of them. Starting with the one I really don't want them to make is Mark Andrews. They can save $5.1 million now. Now, if if I were to make a case for it, and, and by the way, I, I really hate to do this because people are going to be saying, well, Ken is on the side. Well, no, I'm not on the side of cutting Mark Andrews. I want to see them have Andrews and likely both be part of the offense. But if you can't figure out how to do that, then Mark Andrews is the guy you could maybe cut and get out of some of the some of the difficult years at the end of his career. It's twenty four and twenty five he's signed for, um, and and give the job to Likely and pay Likely going forward. It's not an outrageous choice to make, and yet I don't think it's one the Ravens will make. No, I don't think it's uh, definitely doesn't make sense to to um, move on from Mark this year. I am dubious of the 12 personnel as base uh, being effective enough as, um, you know, the, the primary package to pass out of because there's just so many uh, that nobody really has ever been able to do that. Going back to Greg Roman, when they had Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews, um, they just never both had big games at the same time, either in yardage or in catches. Um, same can be said for Isaiah Likely and – um, Mark Andrews under both Greg Roman and Todd Munkin. Um, they both had big games, certainly, but not overlapping. So I think long term, I don't think you necessarily you don't want to pay two tight ends, but short term, you certainly can use that package. Um, I don't want to rely on it, and I don't think it makes sense to pay two two tight ends long term. Yeah. Although they will, they'll have a bigger question coming up on Andrews after the 2024 season because I believe that make, makes it the last year of his deal, and it'll you know obviously be a salary that they'll be they'll be incented to cut. But uh, but hopefully Mark has a big year this year and makes that even a difficult decision. Uh, two other players I, I hear these guys named all the time, and the first one is. A, a complete no way for me in terms of the cut. And that's Morgan Moses at right tackle. It's a $5.5 million savings. He was the Ravens' best tackle last year, and it wasn't close. Um, good, very solid pass defender on that right side. Did he occasionally get help? Yes. Did he, was, it, was he still very good as a pass blocker and good as a run blocker as well? I say yes. Um, I don't see I, – I, I mean, he's such a value at that level. He's in the last year of his contract. You rarely are in this kind of advantageous situation where the last year of the contract is still an obvious value because of the slope that's usually put right. into these contracts. Right. Definitely agree there. Agree with everything you said as far as being the best lineman. Um, and I know we don't want to spoil the, the other segment, but uh, I, judging reading the tea leaves from the combine interviews from Ravens brass, they want re- veteran presence on the offensive line. And I think he gives you the best combination of play for price with that veteran uh, intangible. Yeah. Yeah, I would, would completely agree with that. Uh, moving on, the, and, the, and the big one, the one the Ravens are going to have to make a judgment on is, is about Ronnie Stanley. And he's $8.3 million in savings this year. The, the problem, as we've discussed many times on this show, is barriers of entry at left tackle are incredibly high. And an increase in cap is not going to get the Ravens the money they need to be competitive in a market flush with dollars for whatever thin amount of left tackle talent, either starters or backups 
that exists <laughs> already out there. Right. The one potential name that's been flirted around is Tyron Smith. Um, he, he's sort of a similar player to Ronnie with an extensive injury history and, and questionable uh, reliability availability. Um, I, I personally, after the last four games of the season from Ronnie, played at a much higher level, looked healthier than he has all year. I'm all for for uh, uh, holding the line and uh, trying to get an offensive tackle late in that first round that is a two-year project or possibly even later in the draft. It could be a second or third round pick. I think you have to take a tackle in round one. I think that, that'd be there. If, if, if BPA does not you know, direct their decision as frequently it does. I would like them. I, I think their druthers would be to take an offensive tackle and a left tackle in that, with that first pick. Completely agree. Uh, maybe the hardest position aside from quarterback, maybe even harder than quarterback to find that really premier guy. Uh, just not a lot of human beings with that skill set and that size and that shape. So uh, yeah, if, you know, Dan Jeremiah, I believe he said he had eight first round tackles, um, but he also said all eight of them could be gone by 30. So, uh, you know, time will tell. And a uh, good chance, you know, Mims is a guy who is, who's uh, been tagged to the Ravens a fair amount, really a right tackle. Um, and I, I, I don't really know if he's a guy who could slide over and play on the other side. Sometimes you play at a big SEC school. Maybe you can do it. Um, just not 100% convinced. Right, right. So I'm sure that they'll be watching his uh, movements closely. Uh, I guess offensive linemen will be on Saturday, right? So, or no, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Skill guys, I think, are Saturday and then O-line on Sunday. Yep, you start at 3 p.m. today if you want to start watching the combine. Actually, I, we're talking on Thursday. Uh, 3 p.m. yesterday, you can start watching the combine. <laughs> so, uh, well, you know, of interest, I think, uh, were interviews uh, given by EDC and by Harbaugh at the Combine. Um, there's a lot of coach speak that goes on doing these. I, 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 sometimes you find little snippets of, of information that, that take you down a, a little bit of thought here. But Voss and I are going to kind of alternate going through these two interviews with some, with some points that we took from them. But start us off with, with the EDC interview in particular and and we'll uh we'll work through our thoughts on that okay so just in no particular order here but one of the comments i found interesting was that he clearly identified wide receiver as a critical position and he said that the data supports that uh notion um and he went on to elaborate that um they need depth to sustain injuries and uh and also mentioned it's a very deep wide receiver class and sort of said, we'll see who falls. I wouldn't rule out a first-round receiver. Uh, I think probably a second-round or third-round receiver is probably likely. Could also be a double-dip situation. If you're losing two, you got to replace them with two. Um, so I don't think that they're going to be active in the free agent wide receiver market, and I think that's a wise decision. Um, but it was interesting to hear DeCosta say that in previous years – He sort of shied away from that, even though um, he has invested a lot of picks at receiver, early picks. Um, But there have been a few seasons where he didn't really make make it seem to be such a critical position. So that caught my attention. You know, one of the things that's interesting about that is that in the past, he's referred to cornerback similarly with regard to the injuries as these, you know, he talked about the wide receivers being race cars and sometimes they break and you, and you need to have somebody ready to go and they were able to maintain depth this last year. 
cornerback a position they obviously did very well on this last year in terms of having the proper depth for the scheme and actually having a scheme that worked very well with limited with with players that had some limitations let's put it that way um but anyway the the uh, you know the, the the cornerback position being similar that's a position where they really need to get run get young and it did not really come up in this entire interview which was a little bit surprising to me I had that same exact note, no mention of it. Now, you know, they are sort of at the mercy of the questions that they're asked. They're not just going to go on a diatribe and say, these are the positions we want. Uh, But I found this interesting. Um, The last time he took a wide receiver in the top 100 was 2017 with Marlon Humphrey. They haven't taken – Brandon Stevens was right outside the top 100. But, uh, you know, Ozzy, what – out of his first five drafts, two of them, I believe, were, were corners in the McAuliffe. top ten, both in the top ten. Um, and traditionally, they but they haven't. So it is t- now is the time, unless there has been some sort of um, philosophical shift. I think that's possible, not probable, but possible. Yeah, they, they, I mean the the, the nineteen ninety six Ravens in particular, that team that came to Baltimore. Um, immediately had a lot of problems in the secondary. They had two pretty good safeties in Stevon Moore and uh, Turner, but their their mm-hmm. their cornerbacks were complete trash. Deron Jenkins. And, yeah. Ugh. I mean, Deron Jenkins, another guy, they they moved up into the second round to pick him. Uh, they traded right. away a fair, fair amount of their 1996 draft to get that done. So uh, he would, you know, I've, I've gone back, I've watched a lot of the early Ravens games. Of course, I've got the the, the defensive uh, information for all those games. Deron Jenkins, not a terrible player when, when he was with the Ravens, they really thought he was going to be g- great going into 99. And then McAllister took his position right away. It didn't, it wasn't obvious that that was going to happen because he was playing as a, as a nickel, at that point, mm-hmm. but then Deron Jenkins was was pretty much out at in the in the standard package by the end of that season, and uh, and it was Starks and McAllister with a with a two they went forward for the Super Bowl year. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. All right. Let's. I, I, another thing um, that I thought was interesting. And there's lots of things talked a lot about Joe Hortiz and losing him, and I wanted to talk about this a little bit. But there were two couple questions. One early, one late that got into this. Um, uh, he said he was losing his pickleball partner. Uh, it was a it was a big loss. He's a natural consensus builder. I think that's very important as part of the Ravens draft process. But the other thing that he did was talk about continuity. And he's not just talking about continuity of coaches or players when he says that, or offensive linemen where continuity is probably very commonly spoken of in, in terms of a unit. But in terms of process, and in terms of scouting process, I thought that was very important. He mentioned Hortiz. Hortiz and he have worked together apparently for 25 years. He came in just a couple of years after him. He's been sitting to his right for many years. So it's a big loss. And uh, and he thinks he'll do well with the Chargers. But uh, um, I think it's one of, the, one of the really good things that came out of both interviews was how the continuity was important, but it's continuity of process. And, you right. know, when you're successful, you lose good people. Absolutely. Um I was listening to something earlier where the Patriots are changing their process where they used to grade players as a, as a specific skill set, mm-hmm. but now without Belichick, whoever took over, I think this was on the athletic podcast. Uh, I was listening to it in the car earlier um, that they're, that they're reevaluating the way they grade players. But uh, on the topic of continuity, George Kokinos has now sort of become, at least from what we hear from um, the lounge, the lounge and the team website, the number two taking um, 
taking Ortiz's role or at least helping there. And he's apparently an offensive line sort of specialist, but he came uh, to the Ravens from Cleveland. So, uh, mm-hmm. so he's been here from the very beginning. I think he used to be really up there with um, when Phil Savage was around. Right. So uh, anyway, point being that uh, certainly continuity and they have some other, uh, you know, horses in the stable, so to speak, to, uh, to help fill out, make up for the losses they suffered uh, from the front office. I've, I is George Kakinos. Okay, I'm not sure how old he is. If he, if he's if he's is it George Kakinos in Lutherville who's 70 years old? But I don't know if that's him or not. Uh, if or if you have an idea of how old Kakinos is, but he has been around a long time. Um, yes, definitely. He, uh, like I said, he came from Cleveland. He did a uh, quick little hit on one of the. Uh, I think it was uh, Garrett Downing interviewed him. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see. I thought one of the other interesting things came out of the EDC interviews was that, um, he, he said he wasn't really involved in the coaching interviews this year. That- Save big on your Memorial day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. John had done most of those and that he was involved last year more when they were hiring coordinators. Now, first of all, I think that's a really good sign for Harbaugh that he's within the same silo. Now, conflicting things on this, I want to be clear. It's great that 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 EDC can be involved when John wants him involved as the as a uh, another set of eyes on a candidate. And you know how I would analogize this is if if you're the chief actuary at an insurance company and you're hiring a pricing actuary, which is a, a fairly important position in terms of the company's growth and whatnot, you want the president to meet that guy, but the last thing you want is the president deciding on that guy for you. Okay. Or even you probably want a guy in marketing to meet him, which is more analogous because that's EDC and Harbaugh's, you know, silos are next to each other rather than one being over top of the other. So it's, it's interesting to me that um, uh, he was not particularly involved in this. And I would expect Harbaugh to have the final decision on that silo. I thought we got a lot of other interesting information from this particular pair of interviews in terms mm-hmm. of the coaching hires. Yes, yes. Um, I was going to mention that. Should we just dive into that now or should we Absolutely. say that for the Harbaugh? Yeah, so, you know, Harbaugh went on to say, uh, he talked to Nick Saban because most of his contemporaries are 60, 70 years old and Saban's obviously been, you know, turning that Alabama machine with the probably the largest coaching staff in college um, how do you tap into that younger, you know, 35, 40-year-old coach? And Saban gave him some tips. And if you look at it, most of the guys he's hired did come from the college ranks to this cycle or and also a former player, the uh, Trevor Wharton. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I thought that was very interesting. We did sort of hear that, you know, in the, in the grapevine that, uh, you know, DaCosta was one of the – was a little bit more in, involved with the Munkin and maybe even Bashadi. Um, had a role in Greg Roman, uh, but certainly seems that, uh, and it was great to hear that Harbaugh has sort of 
got gotten out of his comfort zone a little bit from where he used to sort of hire everybody from the good old boys uh, network or the the Michigan network, and now he's expanding. So uh, it's great, great to see that evolution. Yeah, um, talked about a lot of different uh, individual coaches and and what they've done. Anthony Weaver uniformly praised by both guys in terms of being a, a future head coach in the league. Harbaugh talked about how he he lights up a room. He also fills up a room with his size and whatnot. But a, a, a leader of players and coaches. And if you've ever seen Anthony Weaver at the at the podium, you immediately have this same yes. feeling about the guy. Definitely, definitely. Um, is my turn or your turn? Yeah, you go ahead. Okay, so I guess just just to kind of take away, this might be from both, but knock it out in one. When asked about running backs, they both sort of said, we need bodies. That was sort of the way I heard it. They weren't saying we need a bell cow. They weren't saying we want a three down back. They weren't saying we want somebody who excels in pass protection. Um, you know, the constant noted that it was a shallow draft class. Hardball, and I think this was actually with the other interview he did yesterday with Garrett Downing, said, what are we looking for? He said he wants um, a backs that can – get more than what's blocked. Pretty much all the backs can get what's blocked. That's the interchangeability. So who can break tackles, make people miss, and get yards after contact? And they they both mentioned they'd love to have Gus back, but it just doesn't seem like a big priority to them based off of this. And I think that counters what some people have been uh, espousing, that it, that it should be a big priority. It doesn't seem that way, at least from these interviews. I thought it was interesting that both men – both mentioned Gus and J.K. Dobbins mm-hmm. as guys are going to look at. Now, by the way, there's a whole lot of that. You don't want to shut the door on anybody as you go through these coach speak things. You don't want to tip your hand anyway. You don't want to say, you know, we we'd love to hear from J.K. if he would ever consider calling us. You know, you don't want to you don't want to have any kind of a messaging out there that says that that you know you don't think that you're in a good place with that player. Uh, so everything is is pretty much positive in the in the case of of uh, JK specifically. I didn't get anything positive out of out of the thing, but I also didn't get anything negative. And the Ravens are saying the right things, which is what this organization does to try and maintain relationships with players, make sure those bridges aren't burned. Sure, and again, it is a shallow class, so they're probably going to add a veteran. I just think they're probably not going to do it until after the compensatory formula date has passed. Just doesn't make a lot of sense too. There's going to be a lot of backs and I'm sure there'll still be some hanging around later in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I'm, you know, you and I have already had the conversation about some of the big backs and, and the the desire not to pay one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll go back to something EDC had on his plate. He talked about losing Eugene Shen to the commanders. Not a well-known name within the Ravens organization, but another analytics guy who had done a lot of modeling of player personnel stuff. And one thing I asked Harbaugh about years ago at camp was who had created the system of scoring for those camp practices. Have you ever been there and you see the defense has, Mm -hmm. you know, 70 to 56 league number? How how do they get to this point? It's obviously not points, but it's, it's, it's a, Scoring system they have. Anytime a ball is loose on the ground, the team that picks it up gets a point. And, you know, there's there's points for third down, and there's and they've never fully explained it. Right. Uh, the the usually one side of the ball, and in my history of going to camp, it's typically been the the defense is dominated, and the offense mm-hmm. hates the scoring system. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Very interesting. There's this big crooked numbers on the scoreboard and well, he was a pressure or he would have got a sack, but they're not tackling the guy. And I don't know how they figured that out. That was a, 
That was odd. But uh, yeah, they they you know hopefully they they'll find a adequate replacement and continue the pipeline in the analytics department like everywhere else. Mm-hmm. I've I've got a couple more things. Uh, yeah. Both of them praise Mike McDonald in terms of what he'll do with with Seattle players and coaches. You wouldn't you wouldn't expect anything else to be said other than that. Um, anything about all the stuff that was said about McDonald that you think is significant? Um, not particularly. Uh, you know, I guess I'm more looking at it from a Ravens perspective now, and that's more what he's going to do in Seattle. Um, Offensive line was a big topic. If you're, if, I'm sorry, unless you're, if you're ready to move on from McDonald, big topic. Uh, DeCosta's words were big, strong, and imposing, uh, which maybe gave you a little bit of indication that uh, they're not leaning into the we need more athleticism, mobility, zone blocking, or maybe not. Maybe that's a smokescreen. But I said it's a very deep class of offensive tackles and offensive guards. The challenge is to balance. They want to get younger, but they also want to maintain veteran presence. So that's the challenge. He made a mention of injuries. He said, you know, we have the injuries and the salary cap. And kind of made me think that maybe they haven't quite made their final decision on Ronnie Stanley quite yet. Um, You know, just speculation there. Uh, And then Harbaugh went on to say they're going to be rebuilding the offensive line, not retooling, not, you know, rebuilding is a pretty powerful word. And he said this will be the fourth time they've done it since he's taken over in 2008. Um, and he said it's the most important thing on offense for this offseason. No mention of Kevin Zeitler. No mention of John Simpson throughout the entire thing. I, I you know, Simpson could be back on a, on a limited deal. I don't see any, any chance that Zeitler's back. And, again, this is a case where – the opportunity was given because they had the offensive line in the discussion crosshairs for them to say something like, we haven't given up on getting Kevin Zeitler back at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to compare that, OBJ, I think, is probably more likely I mean, more likely to not be back, I would still say, than maybe not than Zeitler, but more likely than a lot of others not to be back. And each of them had a slightly positive thing to say about OBJ. In the case of EDC, mm-hmm. he said – We'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. In the case of Harbaugh, I said, I still got my fingers crossed, hoping he'll be back. Right. You know, it's just, it's it's coach speaky. You have the opportunity to do that same thing for John Simpson or for or for Kevin Zeitler and say, hey, we think we've got some competition here that'd be really healthy. We'd love to get John Simpson back. We'd, we'd love to see if we can get Kevin Zeitler back. Didn't take that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if we've ever heard him say, no, this player is definitely not coming back at this point of the offseason. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you, you, want, you don't want to run your bridges, as you mentioned. One player that, and I think I caught this on the um, Garrett Downing interview from Harbaugh, uh, apparently he said he ran into Jadavian Clowney's agent at the Combine, Harbaugh said, and his agent said this is the only year where he was happy at the end of the season of his career. And sort of has me thinking, you know, Harbaugh's kind of planting the seed. Come back to Baltimore. You might not get quite as much money, but you have a better time, a better quality of life, and you enjoy your teammates. So that kind of made me think they were in the they're they're sort of looking that direction. Um, on that on that topic, also, DeCosta said he expects a big season out of Odafe away as one of the primary edge rushers. So, you know, this is all reading tea leaves speculation, but that's sort of what what I thought they were trying to uh, to plant there. To, to speak to both of those, he actually looked backwards at Adafi Owe's 23 performance and said, we look at pressures, not sacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're more important. And um, I, I thought that was great, by the way. First of all, I completely agree. And, and uh, you know, second of all, Adafi, that's, that's his game. And they actually hold him back more 
for passing downs. They try, they've really made an effort in 23 to keep him fresher for that. He's going to have a higher workload. That did not work out so well early in 22 when the Ravens were, were very short right. before they picked up some guys on the edge as, as the season rolled on. Um, I would, I, re- regarding Clowney, I, I like the chances now a little bit better to bring him back. Uh, but he's, he's a player that's not quite in the A tier and he's not quite in the C tier bargain bin group. Mm-hmm. He's a B tier player. Those kind of guys, you probably are going to be competing with dollars for some of those players. So some of that extra cap that's been splashed all over the league now, uh, Jadavian Clowney is a potential recipient. And and uh, the fact that he was happy at the end of the year, he could be happy for a lot of reasons. He could be happy for the year <laughs> he had. He'd be happy for making his bonus. He could be happy prospectively yeah. that things are going to work out for him. Right. I was going to say happy that he made the bonus. Um, So just on the topic of the the uh, free agent edge class in PFF's top 115 edges, edge rushers, Um, Kate Kalvanoi would have been 19th, uh, 125th. So it does seem that that's a place where they're going to probably a second, third wave shopping and probably not going to be a draft priority just because there are just so many of these veterans where they they give you great production for a great price, and, and they've yeah. done that year after year now. Well, yeah, and and I think the Ravens have found the magic formula there, whereas other teams haven't quite figured it out. There, there's a lot of big money guys on the free agent market this year at the, at the, at the extreme top end, not not like like fifty to right. one hundred guys, but when Josh Burns, Allen, is Hunter, yeah, yeah, Burns and Hunter, yeah. yeah. Those are guys that 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 certainly are going to earn big money in this market, and uh, and you know they deserve it. But uh, let me just see if there's anything else I had from the Harbaugh interview that I specifically wanted to say. Um, I talked a little bit about the culture of disagreement within the organization, which I thought was very good. Um, you want to have a culture of debate. Any organization, any business, it's very healthy. Harbaugh talked about having it. Um, within the draft room, I think, to some. But also he said, you know, we want to inspect our processes. Now, sometimes you can overstate what you really want in that regard as a head coach. I think, the, you know, the proof's in the pudding. You really need to see it in play to see it happen. But I've always heard that about the Ravens draft process is, you know, the red star process is one where the scouts are, you know, planting a flag in right. one or two players per year, I don't know how many they each get to get to star in in a year, but uh, that goes right up on the Ravens draft plaques, and they are, I, I, they probably changed from plaques to you know something electronic now. But uh, but when I saw the draft board, it was it was with plaques that had red stars on them for certain players, and uh, uh, yeah, that 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 process, the way it was described to me, was you know they would take that process out of the draft room, sometimes into the bathroom to, to continue their discussions on their tea breaks. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it, it sounds kind of weird, but it's, but it's, but it's actually very healthy that, that, you know, you're still talking business in the back bathroom. Uh, you're still talking business when you go for a soda. That was the big one at our mm-hmm. company. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, that uh, I, I, I love to hear about that. I even more would love to be a fly on the wall to see it in play. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, speak or forever hold your peace. And he said, not too many, but not too many people are holding their peace. DaCosta said something similarly, just as far as what does he look for in a player on the topic of Red Stars. And he says integrity and work ethic and grit. He didn't say we're looking for the best positional value with the best, highest RAS score. You know, that wasn't yeah. his uh, his thing. So that's how the Ravens draft. And obviously it works out um, well. 
Last thought I had from Harbaugh was his comment on uh, Munkin and Lamar and how he sees the offense going. Uh, basically upset it's going to continue to tailor it more to Lamar's strengths, um, continue the next step, the next evolution, and it's always a constant changing process. Um, one thing I found interesting, and this is also not from the uh, press conference availability, but from the Downing interview, he said they, as soon as the game, the season ended, they started studying um, the defenses that played well and slowed down the offense. And the whole, this offseason, they're going to – continue to figure out and work on how to counterpunch, how to counterpunch those defenses. So I thought that was good to hear. In previous seasons, you kind of heard, we're going to do our thing and we believe in our thing. And anyway, that was good to hear, from, I thought. Yeah, that's very good self-scouting of that sort. You know, you go through this, we mentioned that a lot of the players get lip service at this time of year because they, a reporter asks them about it. They're not going to say anything bad about the player, OBJ or Flowers or whatever. Um, but, but in the case of... of um, Rashad Bateman got specially tagged by Harbaugh as a breakout guy. And I thought that was very good for him. Um, he mentioned him as a player who will get the ball more, will see the ball a lot more in this next year, should take a big step. I mean, much stronger words. And Harbaugh will, will, will has, a, has a couple different gears where he talks about players. He's got mm-hmm. this constant coach speak chatter going on about, about a lot of players. And, and you can't trust that for, I mean, that guy could be caught. but if but then when he goes out of his way to praise a player it's it he's usually very um thoughtful and 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 uh direct about it i remember him when when they had chuck clark and he was very excited at chuck clark as the as the green dot where he talked about him being bold brief and something else there was alliteration used and Mm -hmm. and he, he obviously had to plan that that's a rehearsed component to this thing. And, and in a sense, he's always being rehearsed because he can always spout a party line on any player saying, you know, he gives us speed, he gives us power. We like that combination. And we think he's going to have a great career. You can say that about any player, you know, pick out two things you like about them and, and, and talk about how good they're going to be. It, he just went out of his way with Bateman and, and in a way that he'd gone out of his way with, with Clark before years ago. Definitely. I mean, I think that's Rashad Bateman's, Development and a healthy offseason was probably one of the most important things that's going to happen this offseason. Fourth-year player, um, they, they, they're going to need him. They're going to need a big year from him. And um, hopefully health health is really finally in his favor. Now, let me ask you this, because this is actually a, an interesting thing. Would the cap increase actually slightly improve the chance they pick up a fifth-year option on Bateman? It's a big number. It's $13 right. million and change. Would, would the cap increase – make it more likely that they want that fifth-year option? I don't see it, Ken. I don't see it. I, I've, I've had some conversations on Twitter with some folks that say, yeah, you know, it's a it's a good value to pick it up. But he just hasn't had the production yet to make it a good value, in my opinion. So – if you if you don't do that, which which I'm okay with, I, th- I think my I think we've had this discussion before, but we're both yes on OA and no on Bateman. In fact, Correct. that's, that's yep. and my only vacillation on this relates to where he is, um, uh, you know, right now relative to the cap. That's the only that's the only reason why I'm even questioning it in my mind. There'd be no question on OA. Um, and I, you know, if, if we see a bunch of contracts signed this offseason, I think the Ravens could regret not having 
tagged away. But of course, they they you know cut Pierce's contract a year short, and they get just able to get him re-signed. So it's not like right. they won't have a year to re-sign him. It's just that they that's all they'll have. Yeah, I, I I just I would need to see more chemistry between Bateman and Lamar and better hands. Uh, you know that 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 drop in Pittsburgh in the end zone was one of the worst plays of the year. I thought. Um, so because it's still a lot of money. Um, I, I personally are the, of the mind that you want to cycle through uh, receivers that are picked high in the draft and not necessarily pay any of them crazy money. Um, you know, we'll see when, when Flowers comes to the table in a few years. But I think there's probably – if you commit to drafting a wide receiver in the top 100, you know, three out of four years or maybe four to four years, you can just run a pipeline – uh, without really paying because there's so many of them and you have the quarterback and hopefully you have the offensive line and the tight end is kind of the, the centerpiece. And I think that's a pretty good way to save some money long-term. Yeah. Really, really want to see him and Lamar build a chemistry off the field in this off season. So they shouldn't have Odell Beckham around. Uh, I don't think they'll have Odell Beckham around anyway. So it'll probably be Bateman and Flowers will be the two most important receivers for them to be getting together and throwing, throwing and catching. And Lamar just – we've seen elements where he just does not trust Bateman in the same way. Even though Bateman's bailed him out a bunch in this last year, the, the I, I think you know on the deep ball in particular, Lamar tends to overthrow Bateman more than he overthrows Flowers. And part of that is Flowers can run out of the football, but it's, right. not, the, it's not all of it. The other, he doesn't really trust Bateman to, to go up and either get a pass interference call or make a grab over a cornerback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, hopefully he can improve his hands because I think that has been a somewhat consistent issue. Um, it, again, Bateman had a really good start to the 22 season. Um, he had that one where he took a slant to the house against Miami, I think. Yep. And, uh, but then he got hurt and, you know, it just derailed him. So uh, hopefully it'll be a good offseason for Rashad Bateman. Yep. All right. Always a great uh, discussion about football. A lot to discuss this week. Uh, we're going to look at what we have next week, but we at least will have the combine to talk about, a uh, start of free agency. So I think we're going to be doing a show for next Friday. We'll not be doing that the entire offseason, folks. I know we, we, we'll, we'll have some discussion over this. But as we work up to the draft, we'll probably have a little more frequent shows and certainly after the draft, and then we may take a little bit of a break as as the entire NFL goes on a hiatus for about those six weeks between OTA and the start of camp. Right, right. Lowest time of the year at Baltimore beat them too. Uh, for someone that does a daily Ravens news article, it's, uh, it can be challenging to find topics during that time of year. But the overall, I think just final takeaways from the combine interviews. Um, seems to me, if I had to bet, I think they're going to focus the draft on the offensive side of the ball, offensive tackle, offensive guard, wide receiver, and they're going to probably spend money on defense with Matabike and Clowney, maybe a corner. Um, and I think they're going to start – this is all speculation, but I think they're going to try to go with not a stars and scrubs, but a stars and mostly rookie contract guys. Almost sort of how KC has designed, structured their roster a little bit more top heavy now with uh, with Lamar and Roquan and some of the other guys on the books. And, and fewer medium value Michael Pierce type contracts. That's what Roger, you're saying. Right. Avoiding Project Washington type of extensions. All right. All right, fair enough. You, if you, if you're really trying to you're really trying to color it, you, you you name a player who didn't have a good year this last year. If you try to color it the other way, you name a guy who did have a good year the last year. And that's exactly what we just did there. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> well always, always appreciate talking football with you, Voss. Tell folks where they can find you online. My pleasure, Ken. 
uh, Twitter X at Vasilis Beatdown, B-A-S-I-L-I-S Beatdown, and co-managing editor and author for Baltimore Beatdown Blog. All right. Other folks out there, historical pods this offseason. Really looking forward to it. Vas, I don't know if I got your player yet or not. But we're, not yet. we're talking Soon. about individual players who are not at the top tier that you have some recollections about. And this is kind of a free association game you can play where we talk about the game that in, in fact, we did talk about Laquan Williams was the first one. It's out today. It's out yesterday, I guess, when you're listening to this um, and and what he did. Well, he had one big game against the Steelers in 2011 where he had a couple big receptions, one for first down, both for first downs, actually. But there's a whole bunch of other countercurrents of other stories that are happening. And, and we get into that. We go down some rabbit holes with this. 15 to 20 minutes is all we really want. If you all you really need to do is think of like three things about that player that you really liked or or individual plays they made or whatever, we'll make that into an episode and that that'll be interesting. Get your player chosen. I want to I want to have a list that uh um uh you know we're we're not overlapping. Right now everybody wanted Jarrett Johnson already, so he's gone. Um, but hopefully you'll have another player from that second tier that you like. For Vasilikos, this is Ken McCusick saying goodbye, and we'll talk to you next week on Friday Morning GM. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $129 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $249 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.